1 Kings chapter 11. We have been studying the life of Solomon. Uh, when we saw him last week, he was, well, he was kind of at the pinnacle of his life. He was popular, he was wealthy, he was famous, he had land, homes, houses, he was, he was full of wisdom. I mean, he was kind of at the pinnacle. And tonight, we're going to kind of come to the beginning of the end of his life. We're not going to quite get all the way to the end, but we're going to kind of see how his life is going to start to fall apart, start to unravel. Now, during the last several weeks, we studied his life, and along the way, we've seen that Solomon began, we, you know, when we first started, he began as a man who loved God. He began as a man who served God, a man who worshiped God, and he was certainly a man who heard from God. You know, so he began on the right foot, and the Lord himself had appeared to Solomon twice. Uh, during the first appearance to Solomon, God gave Solomon this warning. It was recorded back in 1 Kings chapter 3. He came to Solomon, he said, or I'm sorry, he gave Solomon this decision or this choice. He said, what shall I give you, Solomon? And, uh, the, and, the Lord, and Solomon said, Lord, you've made me king over Israel. I'm like a little child who does not know how to come out or to go in or go out or come in. I'm, I'm, I really don't know how to run this country. I don't know how to run this nation. Uh, give your servant understanding. Give me an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So when God said to Solomon, hey, what do you want, Solomon? Solomon said, I want wisdom. Lord, I, I, you've given me a tremendous job, a tremendous task by placing me on the throne of Israel. And I need to know how to judge your people rightly and wrongly. And the Lord said to him, he said, because you've asked this thing, because you haven't asked for long life for yourself, you haven't asked for riches for yourself, you haven't asked for the life of your enemies or your enemies to be killed, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Because you've asked for this, Solomon, behold, I have done according to your words. So God said, I'm going to give you that, Solomon. I'm going to give you just what you've asked for. I've given you a wise and an understanding heart, God said, so that there has not been anyone like you and there'll never be anyone like you. You're going to be the wisest man that has ever lived. I've also given you what you haven't asked for, God said both riches and honor, so that there will be none, so there will not be anyone like you among the kings of all your days. You are going to be the greatest, wealthiest king. All You're, you're going to be it, Solomon. I'm going to bless you tremendously. So, then he gave him a warning. He said, if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I'll lengthen your days. But it's an if-then statement. If you do, if you follow my ways, Solomon, if you follow my word, if you do what I've told you to do, then I'm going to lengthen your days. I'm going to keep you and your family on the throne of Israel, just as I promised David. Solomon went on to build the temple of the Lord, and he witnessed the cloud of the Lord fill the temple. He built many other structures, big, huge houses for himself, for his wives. Uh, he built... Uh, the city wall. He built stalls for all of his horses, barns, everything he needed. He was building all kinds of things. And early in Solomon's life, he sought the Lord. And throughout his life, the Lord had appeared to him twice personally and warned him. And other people had warned him, David and his blessing. And, you know, unfortunately, as Solomon kind of went through life, as we've seen, he had some small compromises in his life. He had a couple of areas that he was just, well, he was flat out disobedient to the Lord. The Lord had been clear. Solomon had multiplied horses and chariots unto himself. We saw that take place. Solomon had multiple wives or multiplied wives unto himself. We saw that take place. We saw last week that Solomon had greatly multiplied silver and gold to himself. His income was well over a billion dollars a year in today's standards. Well over that. And we talked about these things, how these were creeping in slowly and how they were in direct disregard to God's word. 
And I want to make it clear, God, it's not like Solomon didn't know what he was supposed to be doing or how he was supposed to be living. God had made it very, very clear for in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we read this in verse 16. But, and he's speaking to the kings here. When you go into the land, there's a king over you, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. No wives, don't multiply wives, nor shall he greatly, greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. We talked last week, it's not about being wealthy, it's about being grossly wealthy, about greatly multiplying. And we saw that Solomon has done all of these things. And all of these things, I'm sure in Solomon's minds, I'm sure they were all justified. I'm sure he had a good excuse. I'm sure he had a good reason because no, Solomon was no different than us. We can justify things in our life. Well, we'll just, there, we can always find a reason to do something that we want to do. We can always make a reason up. And whether it be true or not, and usually it's not, we can believe it. And Solomon has done this. And now we come to chapter 11. And this evening we're going to look at the first 13 verses. Chapter 11, verse 1. But... <clears throat> But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Solomon loved many foreign women, is what we first read in verse 1. And there's two obvious problems here. There's two obvious problems. Number one, he loved foreign women. Number two, he loved many women. We're going to look at the first one We're going to look at the first. First, we're going to look at he loved foreign women. Solomon had a thing for ladies from different countries. Now, some would say, well, it was as a king of Israel, he would he would make treaties with other kings and he would receive their daughters as wives. And and that was a way of him. You know, it was it was kind of a diplomatic thing. Others would say it's just it's a status symbol. He could say, look at my family, look at how many wives I support. Look at look at the children, look at all that I have and look how many servants and women I have. Either way, it was against God's plan. And what we see is these foreign women, these other women, they worshipped other gods. They didn't worship the God of Israel. They didn't worship Jehovah God. They brought these pagan influences with them. He didn't make, they didn't convert to Israel. They brought their gods with them into Israel. They brought these, these pagan influence into Israel. And this is a direct rejection. That direct rejection of God's plan for one man and one woman from the beginning of creation. Not only did God tell the kings not to multiply wives to themselves, way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It was God's plan originally for it to be a man and a woman from the beginning of creation. Jesus would confirm this when he spoke in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. He was speaking about divorce, and he repeats that they shall become one flesh. But why couldn't they marry foreign women? What's the big deal? Was God racist or something like that? Is that how, I don't understand, Rob. What doesn't make sense? No, God's not racist. Look what God said. 
God said, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. You see, it wasn't about the woman. It was about the God she was worshiping. It wasn't about the the country she came from. It was about the pagan culture that she would bring with her into the relationship. She's going to turn your heart away after other gods. He warned Solomon about that, and we see that's happening. We, We just read that it's going to take place. Because God knew that, they, that as they intermarried, their hearts would be turned away from God and tor- turned towards their pagan wives. In other words, the women are going to have a, the ability to turn their husband, turn Solomon, turn the Israeli, Israelite men towards the other gods. Interesting, for all of Solomon's great wisdom, as smart as he was, for all of his great wisdom, he did not have the wisdom to apply this simple command to his own life. You see, it's easy to talk about it. It's easy to say it, but it becomes very difficult to live it. Isn't that true with the Word of God? It's easy to talk about it. We can tell other people how they should live their life, right? But when it comes to your own life, are you applying it to your own life? Because it's a whole different thing when you say, well, but we always find a reason. Well, it doesn't really apply to me. I've got a good excuse. Or, you know, God's, God's got a reason for this. But it also shows us, and it shows the ladies, how much influence you have over your husband. If you have, if God's warning the men not to intermarry because she'll bring her God with her, but it shows a woman how much influence you really have. You have the ability to turn your, heart, your husband's heart away from God. But the New Testament will tell us you also have the ability to turn your husband's heart towards God. You also have that ability as well. It shows how much influence there are. Well, but Rob, does this still apply today? Is there not supposed to be intermarrying of cultures and things like that? Listen, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says this. He says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness you see it's not talking about in today's culture it's not talking about intermarrying of of cultural diversity it's talking about christians marrying non-christians christians dating non-christians christians getting into business with non-christians christians establishing relationships with non-christians why why is that so dangerous perhaps we could bring them to christ no more likely they're going to pull you away from christ whether it be a relationship, whether it be a boyfriend and a girlfriend thing, or whether it be a business partner thing, whatever it is, if you're, if you're involved, if you're yoked, if you're tied together with somebody who is not a believer, there's a good chance they're going to pull you away because you're the one that's going to be forced to stand. And usually in the, in, in, in the light of peace, I just want to, I want to make peace. I want to make things happen. I'll compromise a little bit. And as you begin to compromise a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, that's what takes place. But won't I pull them towards God? Can I just date somebody and maybe I could just, I can, I can get them saved. I can pull them towards God. Maybe that's it. Not usually. I won't say never, but not, usually that doesn't happen. Usually what happens is the person who's the non-believer in the relationship, the person who's the believer says, well, I can, I, I, it's like that missionary dating thing. I can, I can draw them to God. I'm going to be an example for them, but they also, they also become this person or this force in your life where they're trying to draw you away from God they may even look interested in the beginning they may even show up at church say the right things do the right things but as time goes on you find out well I don't know that they're really doing what they say they're doing the believer is usually the one that slowly drifts away slowly stops going to church slowly starts disappearing slowly stops volunteering slowly stops seeing them around slowly gets involved in other things and they're not usually bad things it's not usually a blatant disregard for god's word it just slowly starts to pull you away you slowly start to drift then you begin to compromise i just want to keep the peace in the relationship 
I just want to keep the peace in the bit. I just want to just make everything okay. Let, let, listen, we'll talk about it later. And they end up abandoning what, what they stand for. It happens all the time. The second problem with verse 1 was the many women. He loved many women. 1,000 there, 700 wives, 300 concubines. But I thought many wives were acceptable in the Old Testament. David had at least eight wives, and he had at least ten concubines. Here Solomon has 700 wives and 300 concubines. No, we already talked about that. It was always meant to be one man and one woman. That's the way that God designed it. But here's what I learned from this. If you're not satisfied with one wife, a thousand aren't going to satisfy you. Think about it, guys. If you're not satisfied with one, a thousand. Solomon had the power and the ability to have everything, anything, and anybody he wanted. How do you even get married a thousand or 700 times and have 300 concubines? How, how do you do that? If you're not satisfied with one wife or one husband, the chances are the problem is not with them, it's with you. It's probably in your heart. You're the one that's not satisfied. He had many wives, 700 wives, 300 concubines. One commentator I read put it this way. He said, there's a misconception in today's society on the part of both men and women that says, if I just had someone else, I'd be happier. If I was with someone else, I know I'd be more fulfilled. It's a subtle lie of Satan that he whispers in our ears, and it was whispered in the ears of Solomon as well. He thought that happiness was right around the corner. The next relationship, the next concubine, the next marriage, surely he would be fulfilled but he wasn't. Keep Solomon in mind the next time you're tempted to think you'd be happier with someone else. Solomon had the opportunity to experiment greatly in that area, and it didn't work for him, and it won't work for you either. How true is that? But notice what else he says at the end of verse 2. Solomon clung to these in love. He desired these women in a romantic way. It wasn't just a lustful way. It says he, loved, he clung to them in love. He, he held on to them in love. How much time do you think it takes to cling to a thousand women in love? <laughs> My goodness. What if he'd spent that time seeking the Lord? What if he'd spent that effort seeking the Lord? Can you imagine how much time and mental brain power it takes to cling to a thousand women? Ah, oh, jeez. With all his wisdom, all of it, Solomon allowed himself to be attracted to people Listen, he allowed himself to be attracted to people that he had no business being attracted to. He allowed himself to be attracted to people that should have been off limits for him. He allowed it to take place. He allowed it to creep in. And using his resources, he gained them all, all thousand of them in whatever, whatever place he wanted to put them. Notice I said he allowed himself. Because some would say, well, no, it's just love, Rob. He, he, he's in love. He, he can't help love, right? No, he allowed himself. And just as he did, I can tell you tonight, there's people in your life, whether you're a man or you're a woman, that you have no business allowing yourself to be attracted to. There's people in your life, people that you work with, people that you come to go to church with, whoever it is, there's people that you have no business being attracted to. Don't allow yourself to be attracted to actors and actresses and coworkers and bosses and you know, friends and neighbors. Don't, don't allow that to take place, especially if you're married. If you're single, be careful who you allow yourself to be attracted to. Be very, very careful. We just talked about being unequally yoked. And don't buy the lie that says, well, I can't help it. I can't help it. 
I just can't help it, Rob. Listen, if we're married, if you're married, you better not allow yourself to be attracted to anybody but your wife. Or if you find yourself being attracted to somebody else, you better stop it right away. You better end it right away. If you're single, be very, very careful on who you're attracted to. Solomon clung to these women in love, and there was no way he could possibly fulfill what he had promised them. There's no way he could fulfill their emotional or even sensual, sensual needs. There's a, how, do you, how do you even know their names? There's a thousand of them. Oh, you're Miss, uh, what's, uh, uh, Solomon, we've been married for three years. Yeah, I know, but I've got 600 more since you. How do you do that? But you know, what the Lord says is true. The Lord said, if you intermarry with foreign women, they'll turn your heart away from God and toward their pagan gods. Now let's look at verse 4. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. By the way, that's the Mount of Olives. That's the hill that sits east of Jerusalem. And for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. The issue is always in the heart. David was a man after God's own heart. Solomon's wives turned his heart toward other gods. Solomon's heart was not loyal to the Lord like David's heart was. It wasn't that David didn't sin, because he certainly did. Solomon's heart was no longer exclusive to the Lord. It was no longer pointed to the Lord, and it caused Solomon to do evil in the sight of the Lord. But notice, Solomon did not quit following the Lord. He didn't exchange the Lord. He just added to the Lord. He didn't quit following Jehovah God. He just started following some of these other gods. He just built a few temples for them to make his wives happy. You guys know the story. If mama's happy, everybody's happy, right? You've got to keep a thousand wives happy. You've got to build a lot of stuff. They want new houses, new decorations, new temples. We've got, we got to keep mama happy. It's true with a thousand wives or with one. It's the same concept here. But Solomon should have said no. He should have never been in the situation, but yet he finds himself in the situation, and he finds himself compromising. But notice he didn't quit following the Lord. It says, it says in verse 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it says, and he did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. He did not fully follow the Lord. He didn't fully follow the Lord. He began to set his heart on other things. He began to set his heart on other gods. He began to point his heart in other directions. Brings us to the question, where have we set our heart? Where is your heart set tonight? Where is your heart set? Is it set on the Lord on your on your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as your heart set on God? Is it safe to follow your heart? Do you just follow what your heart wants? Is that a safe way to go? No. Don't follow your heart. 
I thought it was good to follow your heart. Follow your heart. No, Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Why would you want to follow your heart? Your heart will lead you astray. You need to be somebody who's directing your heart. You get to choose where you set your heart, just like Solomon did. We get to choose, where am I going to set my heart? Am I going to set it on the Lord? Am I going to set it on my wife and my family? Or am I going to set it on a coworker? Am I going to set, where am I going to, where am I going to, where am I going to put my heart? Where am I going to, who am I going to open up my heart to? If I'm not careful, I can set my heart in all kinds of places. And it can be dangerous. We should direct our hearts. You need to be the one guiding your heart. Don't let your heart be guiding you. You guide your heart. You tell it where it's going to go. The Lord promised to give us a new heart when we get saved. We set that heart on the Lord. He needs to be the one that's leading us. Don't allow your heart to lead you. Well, then how am I led, Rob? If I don't allow, I don't follow my heart, what leads me? Allow the word of God to be the light unto your path and the lamp unto your feet. That's what Psalm 119 says. Don't follow your heart. Follow the word of God. Don't, follow, don't, don't, don't do what your heart thinks is right because it will lead you astray more often than not. Not saying every time. It might be okay sometimes. But ultimately, follow the word of God above and beyond your heart. Verse 9 reminds us. <laughs> Windy out. Verse 9 reminds us the Lord appeared to Solomon twice. The Lord, think about that. We read that in the Bible. Oh, yeah, the Lord appeared to Solomon. Lord ever appeared to you? No, not to me. Maybe to you he has, but not to me. Twice he appeared to him and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Can you imagine the Lord appearing to you twice? Twice to tell you the same thing. I need you to follow my word. If you follow my word, you're going to be blessed forever. If you don't, oh, it's going to be bad, Solomon. Don't do it. You ever seen the Lord appear to you in that? Don't you think you would get it? You, well, well, Rob, if the Lord appeared to me, certainly I would change the way I was living. Certainly I would get it. I mean, if God showed up at my front door in my living room tonight and had something to say, and yeah, then I would get it. The Lord never appeared to David. We never read that. Each time the Lord appeared to Solomon, he reminded Solomon to follow him. And you would think, that this would be enough, and a face-to-face encounter with the living God to say, I am sold out. Perhaps Solomon needed to hear it more than once. David obeyed the word of God, and when he failed, he was quick to repent. When he failed, he was quick to repent. Solomon disregarded the word of God, and he continued to get further and further away from God. See, that's how it works. Our sin will drag you further and further and further and further away from God unless it's dealt with. David wasn't a perfect man. Far from it. We see murder and adultery in his his life. We saw that as we studied it. He wasn't perfect, but he still called a man after God's own heart because his heart was pointed towards the Lord. And when he failed in sin, he quickly repented to get back right with the Lord. Solomon's not doing that. Solomon's been warned by the Lord twice. He's been warned by David before he took over the throne and other times, and yet he just keeps drifting further and further away, and his heart keeps getting harder and harder and harder in these small compromises because he had to start with one wife, right? He had to start with one. How do you go from one to a thousand? Don't you think around ten you'd go, oh, geez, this isn't working. (laughs) Not Solomon. Go right up to a thousand. His heart had become so hard Listen, his heart is becoming so hard, he found himself worshiping at the altar of Molech. He built a temple for Molech. Do you guys know who Molech was? Molech was the god they sacrificed children to. 
babies, live babies. They burned them at the, alive for Molech's sake. And I'm not going to go into how they did it because it's rather grotesque. Solomon found himself there building a temple to Molech. He's far from the Lord. How do you get there? How, do you get, how, how does a guy who starts out hearing from God, worshiping God, seeking God, find himself worshiping other gods? Do you want to know how far the lust of your flesh will take you? You want to know how far your flesh will take you? Solomon found himself in a place that he never thought he would be. Solomon could argue the things of God. You want to debate? He was smarter. His wisdom was incredible. He could win any debate. He was wise. People were coming from all over. We saw last, last week the Queen of Sheba came to hear him. Wise, but yet when it came to applying to his life, he was remiss in doing that. You see, God's word was something he knew, but it was not something that he lived. And as a result, those little compromises, those little sins, they crept in and they grew and they grew and they grew and they grew. And now he finds himself looking after wife number 1,000 going, I wonder if one more would help. I'd be happy if I just got one more. Well, I'll just make her a concubine. Make it 301. For, let's go for odd numbers. Whatever he's thinking, how could he possibly think that? It's the power of lust. It's the power of lust in somebody's life. It can capture us in a spell, in a fog of spiritual confusion until we do things we never thought we would do. The power of lust will bring you to places that you never thought you'd go. It'll, it'll cause you to commit sins that you would stand and say, just years before, I will never do that. You'll find yourself there if you don't stop it, if you don't cut it out. A thousand wives, three, well, 700 wives, 300 concubines. If Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, then what hope do we have? Think about that. He's the, he's the smartest guy that ever lived, and he, what, what hope do you know what? You might even be thinking, well, Rob, if I had those kind of resources, I might be, have a few hundred wives myself. Or I might, have, I might be fulfilling my lust of my flesh more than I am. And, you know, maybe my resources are keeping me away from it. Listen, if he was the wisest man that ever lived and you asked the question, what hope do you have? You have no hope apart from the constant dependence upon Jesus Christ. There is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. There is none. You will fulfill your lust of your flesh as far as your resources will allow you until you come to a place where either your pride stops you because it becomes morally unacceptable or you, just, you will just keep right on going. There is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And Solomon will come to find that out. A man starts out strong. God says, Solomon, what do you need? Lord, I need wisdom. I'm going to give you wisdom, Solomon. I'm going to make you the wisest man that ever lived. I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm going to make you, you're going to have fame. You're going to have fortune. You're going to have everything. But just keep following me, Solomon. Just, just don't, don't intermarry. Don't multiply horses. Don't multiply silver and gold greatly. Just keep, just, come on, Solomon, you can do it. And here we are after he's been on the throne of Israel for about 40 years. This is where he finds himself, looking up. How did I get here? How did this happen? Now look at the consequences. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. How tragic. This is not coming without a warning. Solomon, because you didn't follow me, because you've gone after other gods, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of your hand. It's only been one generation since David. This, we just went through this. I'm going to, I'm going to tear it. God appeared to Solomon twice to warn him. Others warned him, including David, when he took the throne. Warned Solomon about not following the Lord, but Solomon went after other gods. 
God had promised the kingdom to the descendants of David if they remained obedient to the Lord. And now, just one generation later, just Solomon, just one generation, did you notice how he's magnified the sins of his father? Did you notice how the next generation, David had maybe 10 wives, 8 to 10 wives, depending on where you, where you look, maybe at least 10 concubines. Solomon has 700 wives, 300 concubines. Same sin magnified greater. What kept David's sin in check? His fear of the Lord, his repentance to the Lord. It wasn't that he was perfect because he, he certainly wasn't. The security of the nation of Israel is at stake here. That's really what's at stake. The people are at stake. Solomon, if you follow, the people are going to be blessed for your sake. Your family is going to be blessed. Everybody's going to be blessed. The security of the nation of Israel rested in their obedience to the Lord. It rested in their obedience to the Lord. It didn't rest in, in, in the wealth of the nation. It didn't rest in the wisdom of the king. It didn't rest in the power or the notoriety. All, none of these things could last without the blessing of God. Israel's security as a nation, rested in their obedience to the Lord, in the king's obedience to the Lord. And then God said, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you, and I'll give it to your servant. Just like the kingdom was torn away from Saul and given to David, the kingdom of Israel, at least the ten northern tribes, would be torn away and given to Solomon's servant. Look at verse 12. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. God says, I'm going to delay my judgment, Solomon. I'm going to delay it. I'm going to delay it for the sake of David, for, for, for David, because David was a man after my heart. I'm going to hold back on this. You're not going to see it happen. You're not going to see it take place. I think this was heartbreaking for Solomon, don't you? Can you imagine? You're gonna, I'm going to lose the kingdom, but, now my, but, but I'm not, my son's going to have to go through that? My son's going to have, have it torn from his hand? Lots of passages in the Old Testament, such as 2 Chronicles 11, verse 12, tell us that the southern kingdom was made of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Several times in this chapter, the southern kingdom is referred to as one tribe. The ten northern tribes, the two southern tribes. It's because either Benjamin is swallowed up into Judah, they become one tribe, or the idea in which one tribe, they're speaking of one tribe in addition to Judah. So as we go forward, you're going to see it's going to talk about two tribes or one tribe. It's interchangeable. It's, it's the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. So as we come down here to verse 13, it must be heartbreaking for Solomon. Don't you think at this point, I mean... Really, at this point, Solomon would go, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Father. Lord, I, I, I can't believe I've let it get this far away. I can't believe I've become that hardened to the sin in my life. I can't believe. You'd think that it would bring him to the repentance of the place that he needs to be in his life. But I want to just, don't mean to ruin the story for you, but instead of repentance, it's going to bring him to a plan of murder. Because he's not done planning. He's the wisest man that ever lived. I wonder if God's mind would have been changed. I wonder if it, would have, if it would have been differently had Solomon fell down on his face right here and repented before the Lord. I don't know that it would have, but we don't see that repentance in the rest of the chapter. We don't ever see him come to a place of repentance. You say, Rob, what does all that mean? Well, here's, what I, here's how I relate this to us. 
we all have a, a body. We all have a flesh. We, all, we talked briefly tonight about lust and things like that. And if we're not careful, we're going to let the little compromises in our life turn into big compromises. If we don't deal with them while they're small, you see, God gave Solomon warnings. And perhaps this is a warning tonight. Perhaps this is a warning for somebody here that says, I've got it. There's God saying, I, there's something I want you to deal with in your life. There's something, you've just got to cut this out. You've got to stop this. You've got to make this right. You've, you've got to, it, it's got to end. Because if it doesn't, it's just going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's going to grow, and your heart's going to grow harder and harder. And you're going to think, no, no, I can handle this. I'll take care of this later. I'll deal with this in the future. I can't deal with this right now. And I think God would say, no, I, this is my warning to you. I appeared to Solomon personally, but tonight I'm appearing to you in my word. And I'm showing you just what happened to Solomon and the way that it happened. And I don't want it to happen to you either. I don't want, it to, I don't want you to become, your heart becomes so hard that you end up losing, missing out on my blessings. I don't want you to, your heart to become so hard and I can't use you in service towards me. I don't want your heart to become that way. I don't want you to drift away and, and fall away from the Lord and find yourself at the end of Solomon's life. The question to answer is, was he really ever saved? Was he, or was he saved at the end of his life? We'll look at, we'll look at that next week. Now, and the answer is, we don't know. We're going to have to wait until we get to heaven and find out there's multiple opinions. But I think when we look at our life tonight, we go, Lord, is there something in my life? Is there a compromise somewhere? Is there a, is there a situation? That, is there, is, am I doing something in my life that needs to be addressed? And I, I really debated about going on for the rest of the chapter. And I thought, you know, I really want to stop here tonight because I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to pass over this without giving us a chance to pray without giving us a chance to really take a few minutes and go before the Lord and say, Lord, is there something in my life? Is there a compromise that I need to set straight? Is there, is there something going on that I just, you've been, you've been witnessing to me, your spirit's been telling me, and I just got to stop. I've got I've to lay it, lay it down before you. And if that's the case tonight, I want you to just, to, we're going to take a few minutes and pray. And I just want you to do what Solomon didn't do. I want you to repent. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, just between you and the Lord. No one's going to come over to you. No one's going to ask you what it was. No one, it's between you and God. You see, your relationship with him is personal. You can go before him. You don't need to tell me or anybody else about it. But you do have the obligation of responding to the warnings that he puts in your life. And maybe this is a warning shot across the bow that says, I've got, I, I want to do something. I want you to change something. So let's just do this. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. And I want you to ask, Lord, is there something in my life that needs to change? Is there something, is there a compromise that has been slipping away, that is just drawing me further and further away from you? Maybe you're battling it. Just leave it here tonight at the foot of the cross and make this be the time where you stop doing that thing, where you lay it down in at the feet of Jesus and you don't continue in that. Because he wants to set you free from it. He doesn't want you to be bound in it. He wants to, well, I'm done talking. You guys pray. Father, we just come before you. Lord, and uh, Solomon's life is such an example. Lord, not an example we want to follow. We might look and be tempted to say, wow, the wealth and the fame and the wisdom, how cool that would be. What good is it if he burns? What good is it if he's apart from you, Lord? And he's clearly not following you and worshiping all other gods. What good is all that stuff? It's, in, it's vanity. It's, it's, it's no good. But fathers, we seek you individually, quietly in prayer now. Would you meet each one of us right where we're at, Lord? Would you show us, would you search our hearts, search our hearts and show us that area or those areas that you want to work in? Show us those areas of compromise, Lord, so they might not harden our hearts towards you. Show us those areas that we need to work and allow you to change us in. And Lord, lift us up. 
as we repent before you, forgive us. Lord, just minister to our heart wherever we are, whatever we need. You go before the Lord now and you spend time with him, your God.